You are listening to a Core Awareness Seminar by Liz Cook. Her website is www.coreawareness.com. That's C-O-R-E awareness.com. Please note that Core Awareness is a trademark signature of Liz Cook, her workshops, seminars, books, and CDs. The information presented in the seminar is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose of the seminar is to provide information and to simply educate. The author and publisher shall have neither liability nor responsibility to any person or entity with respect to any loss, damage, or injury caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly by the information, suggestions, explorations, or exercises contained within the seminar or written in response to the seminar. The author is not a medical authority, and she is not qualified to diagnose or prescribe any therapy. The information is simply for personal opinion. Please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have. Okay, so the conference is being recorded, and hello everyone, this is Liz Cook, and it's a December 2009 tele-seminar, and the interviewer is Cass Phelps, and the interviewee is me, Liz Cook. So this is a switch around, and um, I'm excited. I wanted to tell everyone who listens to this that uh, Cass Phelps and I will be teaching a workshop on primal play. Um, and it's taking place in Santa Monica in April, 16 to 18. It's a three-day, very, very fun workshop. We've done it before. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a great workshop because it's focused on awakening uh, through play and intuitive response in and specifically undomesticating the psoas. So, before we begin, I want to, I'm going to try the star five thing. What was the tone thing, Cass, that you told me to do? It's, I believe it's either star eight. Oh, only the, yeah, star eight. What does that do? That's that your tone, tone control. What is a phone control? Like when you hear bing, when someone comes in. Oh, okay. So we want to do that. Okay. And then want to do, I'm going to start five to mute everybody so we don't hear people who do okay. and and then you need to start six to come back online. Okay. Just cast. So. Yeah. Okay, great. Are we, is it Lizanne? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Okay, good. Okay. So let me introduce to you. Uh, you. You're on actually two podcasts on my website. Um, I think Castell is a incredible uh, healer and um, movement teacher, and works with what he calls liquid strength, and uh, is creates an incredible sound healing, which we've talked about biotunes, and that I recommend people. Uh, really check out because I think it's one of the most powerful ways of building a parasympathetic. And um, so I was pleased when you asked me, Cass, if you could interview me. So I thought that would be really fun. And yeah. so welcome. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> yeah, um, Liz and I are both huge fans of each other, which is very <laughs> <laughs> It's actually really nice to, to have such a camaraderie. So I really appreciate that. Um, we were talking on the phone, um, getting into the inspiration of our workshop a couple of months ago and just talking about everything. I said, you know, I would really love to interview you. Uh, we were talking about doing um, different things for the podcast and, and talking about our workshop and everything. And, and I said, you know, I think it would just be amazing for, for, you know, to be able to go in and ask some questions uh, that haven't been asked about your work. So this is a beautiful opportunity for me to kind of showcase you. <laughs> oh, thank and, you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I'm a big fan. I just actually was uh, teaching a workshop in Reno, and um, we were talking about primal play and 
so as, and your work has informed me in so many different ways, um, in such a foundational way. So I'm, I'm very grateful that we're able to collaborate and play. Um, so where do we begin? That's the question. I think what would be nice is if we could start on a more personal note and then kind of see how that uh, expands into, you know, the more professional aspect of, of what you're offering. Um, my first question that comes to mind is I know that you've spent uh, over 30 years working with the SOAS, which to me is just mind-boggling, and I would love to know how it is that you got into it and how it is that um, – uh, what 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 it was about it that grabbed your interest and has kept your interest? That's sort of one question, two questions rolled into one. Okay. Well, um, uh, I was introduced to the SOAS um, as a young woman by Bob Cooley, who at that time had a studio in Boston, which actually he does again. And at that time, he was looking at movement and why dancers injure themselves. And I wasn't a dancer, but it was during the era of human potential, um, Feldenkrais, Alexander, different movement uh, systems were just appearing to the public. And there was a deep interest in what is human potential. And so he was basically what we would call now teaching a somatic course, where we spent tremendous amount of time in constructive rest exploring the uh, core, and we didn't call it the core, he called it the psoas, and he was interested in it because he recognized that dancers injure themselves because they're not in their core or they're controlling their core, and that's all he kind of knew, and he allowed us all to be part of the experiment. It was just one big experiment, and that um, for me was life-changing because I was a sculptor instructor at the Boston Museum School of Fine Arts, and I was teaching flexible sculpture. I was, um, I was the first woman to enter an all-male sculpture department and bring what I called flexible sculpture, which means I wasn't working in stone or wood or some hard surface or substance, but was seeing movement as sculpture and body as sculpture and uh, happenings as sculpture and uh, environment as sculpture, and so it was. It was a wild. It was a wild time, and uh, I was having people do things like create wombs and climb inside of them and rebirth themselves. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was just having. I was playing, and I was having a really good time. So when I met Bob, one of the things I recognized was that I was not flexible. That mm -hmm. I was. I was creative, but I, I, my, the physicality of my, my tissue was so wrapped up in fear. I had so much fear and so much pain. I had low back pain, and I, you know, but it wasn't pain that drove me to him. It was, um, it was that I had an experience of moving that awoke my consciousness in the sense that I did something physically that changed the way I perceived and that piqued my interest and that's how I found Bob and he just happened to be focused on the psoas. So that's the first part of it. That's how I met the psoas. And the second part of your question is what has kept me going is that I really do believe that when you connect to one thing as deeply or profoundly as I have, you connect to everything else in the universe. And and so it was a segue. It, it was an it was an entry point mm. into an exploration that is much larger than than necessarily the psoas per se. Although mm. I keep finding I keep finding the psoas as being a kind of um, primordial force or mm. a tissue that connects one to the primordial energy. Uh, mm. And so that was my you know that's how it keeps feeding itself is because there's. It just keeps connecting me to deeper and deeper levels of myself and, and you could say, the universe and certainly to other people. Hmm. That, that's really interesting. That actually brings up a couple different questions for me. Um, one is how is it that it does that for you? How is it that the SOAS does that for you? In it, meaning, how is it that you're in your exploration of over the last 30 years that it's continued to reveal that connection for you? In what way? 
Well, at first it was, um, it was a way to calm myself down. It was a way to enter into a relationship with myself and mm -hmm. to stop running away. Um, mm -hmm. I had tremendous fear. I come from a very dysfunctional, abusive family. Um, there's incest in my family. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's just layers of dysfunction and uh, a lot of fear and a lot of uh, anger and trauma. And so um, I, di I didn't know. I mean, you know, it took me a while. I, I remember it took me years until I realized that, that there was a level of emotional abuse. Uh, and, you know, I read an article and it was like, oh, wow, that, that describes my family. And it, so, you know, when you grow up in a family like that, that's it's called normal. You know, you don't know, <laughs> you don't know that's not happening in everybody's house. Um, and, and so it, that was my, you know, that was like, just calm down. Stay here. Stop jumping up and running away. Uh, stay here, you know, just stay with myself. And so that was, that, that was a large part of the early work was how to begin to um, uh, uh, emerge out of this fight and flight response. Now I don't have that fight and flight response. I, I have, um, uh, you know, I have just a whole, I, I've, I've nourished my parasympathetic. And so the, the exploration now is, um, luscious and juicy and and provocative and and enters into a creative um, a creative space uh, or, or field and certainly this is connected to Emily Conrad's work that brought the movement work uh, into to working with the psoas brought that piece that's so vital so in other words both of those are tied into one basic thing the ability to a sense what's happening right now, right here, is this sensory awareness. So that's why I called it core awareness, because really it's, it's about proprioception, it's about somatic awareness, like to be able to actually sense myself, my tissue, you know, that the, the, all, of, all of these subtle sensations going on right now, you know, and, and, and that's nourishment. Yes, beautifully said, very well said, yes. Um, one of, I think, the main messages that you're communicating in your work is that the psoas is a messenger. So mm -hmm. you're, the me you're the messenger of the messenger. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and what, that, what, I've, what, I've, what I love about that, what I find beautiful about that, is that you're, you're understanding that, that within that you're actually defining an entire way, an entire model, in the sense that you're saying, stop working with the, you know, stop trying to fix the messenger and listen to what it's saying, and allow the messenger to tell you where it is that what what it is that's creating an imbalance. Um, so mm -hmm. that's my, that's been my experience at least in listening to the psoas and then listening to how that how it is that that's connected to my mind and to my um, to my nervous system. So I wanted to I wanted for you to kind of communicate more about all of that of how it is that you discovered and and uh, learned that the psoas is a messenger and what it is that you feel that it's communicating specifically f you know in your own learning. Well, I think when I first began, I wanted to fix myself like everybody else does. Like I just want the pain to go away. I want. I want the fear to go away. Um, you know, I just want to feel better, things like that. And and that's that that kind of external manipulation um, and and a lack of internal uh, trust in. Yeah. And 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 as I've as I've uh, been able to become less vigilant and more. Um, responsive or porous, I would say, um, then I was able to actually uh, sense myself deeper and deeper, and I became aware that the sensory information was the medicine, that, that to just be present to what I was sensing actually changed what I was sensing. Mm -hmm. So the awareness that I could bring to sensation was, in fact, the, the, the medicine. 
of, of healing the, the, the trauma or the reaction or the defensive posture. Or, um, and so I just kept coming back to the simple capacity to stay present to sensation, no other agenda. And, and out of that emerged um, epiphanies and awareness and, and uh, feelings. And, and so it, it, it's, a, it's like holding oneself at first, of just holding space for whatever is. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, that just gets deeper and richer and so there isn't anything to do. So I began, so I recognize that the psoas isn't a doing muscle. It's a being muscle. Mm-hmm. You simply have to be there. Mm-hmm. And it's informing you. You're, you're, it's telling you where there's incoherency in the midline. It's like communicating what is disrupting one's sense of wholeness. And so it's, so it's like a language that you begin to listen and sense, and then just by listening and sensing, it begins to change. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I begin to transform. So it's transforming me uh, in the process of simply showing up and 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 being there. You know, the more I could be, the more uh, the more the psoas simply let go of any tension patterns and and yeah it also brought awareness like well gee if I you know wear this shoe or I sit like this I don't get the same information than if I'm on my tuberosities or I wear a shoe that's flexible so so in a very functional way there's proprioception it's like you're growing neurology you're growing you know I was growing the neurology to um, it it feels to me when there's trauma in the system and I, I had trauma that I could track back all the way into utero. Um, uh, I, I had arsenic poisoning in, in utero. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and so, you know, it's taken some years to kind of recognize that and pull it out of my system. So, so you know, I grew in a field of trauma, so to speak. So this, the infant, um, you could say, didn't have a lot of nourishment or, or um, neurology. And yet, even with that going on, there's an it's like all it takes is one cell. It's like it, it holds all that that deep uh, wholeness or, or or awareness or the, the the field of wholeness. And so, just the sensory awareness starts to evoke that. And so, you don't really have to resolve the trauma. All you have to do is stay there and and you start becoming nourished by your own system, you know, being fed by your own, by the field, by the field of being and being present and not, not leaving, not, not vacating, <laughs> not going yeah. into a trance or, you know, a dream or disassociating yeah. or, or running yeah. away. Yeah, beautiful. The presence of being. Do you feel that this psoas comes from that intelligence and is um, is guiding the person back to that that baseline? Yes, that's the message. The message is, I mean, to me, the psoas is so it's it's so primal, and that the primal the primal response before there was a cortex before we developed language. It's, it's the instinctual, I mean, it's really primitive. It's the instinctual capacity of the psoas is basically survival uh, and the, the impulse to survive, but it's also the impulse to, um, to awaken or to, to evoke the, um, I don't know, the creative unknown to a lot. Yeah. what may be called evolution, the capacity to grow, to Mm. flourish. So at first I could only connect with the survival part, but now I connect to the flourishing that there's this, you know, I mean, it is dedicated to allowing you to flourish. So if you are off balance, if you are, uh, if there, you know, if you're not walking the walk, so to speak, uh, your psoas is showing up 
and you know, it, it's really a dedicated. <laughs> it's really dedicated. So it's a. I think of it so as two ways. One way is that it's it's as delicate as any newborn baby. It's very delicate and sensitive, and it's and it's very wise and primitive, and and you can't. Um, it's like it's it's bio intelligence that you can't manipulate. You can't. Uh, you 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 can't you can't do something to make it behave differently. It it is um, it goes way beyond that. It's, so to me, it's an incredible source. Uh, uh, it's it's an incredible um, segue in, into into one inner inner awareness is is to start to listen to this issue rather than try to manipulate it or control it or fix it or yeah yeah um the word inspiration keeps coming uh meaning in spirit that this so ask could be i think we all have our own ways of listening to our to our own greater intelligence some people have uh you know they have an inner vision they have an inner sight an inner feeling and what I've loved about your work is that you've grounded it in a, a biological context where, it, in my experience, it's like the it's where you've, you're allowing spirit, the psoas is like the spirit communicator in, in a way. Yeah, there's a Taoist, um, I've, I've heard from several people that there's a Taoist uh, description of the psoas as the muscle of the soul. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and that rings really true for me. That that soul meaning a kind of um, the, the the full expression or flourishing of your individual being. And so like a flower, like a flower, you know that that to fully blossom, you know, is not something you can make happen, but you can nourish that, and it moves from from the inside out. And, and the psoas is that expression of the midline out through the legs, but also when not biased, which is one reason why I like our primal play workshop, because I'm really into undomesticating the psoas, because it's not biased to being bipedal, and it's not biased to being forward thrust. And yeah. so when it gets to move in other ways, it wakes up, as you know. You're, you have a beautiful, beautiful psoas that people can go on. Uh, continuum uh, website and watch cats move and I show that video at my application course because I want people to see the potential of the psoas and how it ripples not only down through the leg but all the way up through the skull That's you know true. the tissue that once it gets moving it it, it evokes an openness to the whole being you know yeah. and you yeah. demonstrate that beautifully oh thank you um, the coming from you, that's a pretty big compliment. <laughs> it is. I know. I love when I meet people with functional psoas muscles, and <laughs> even better than mine. Then I get to learn. See, I watch yours, and I go, "Wow, I want to do that." You know, I want my psoas to be that. It's it's um, what's interesting about you know, it's I find that there's the psoas is almost like an unconscious muscle um, in our in our collective. Like everybody knows what a bicep is. They know what a thigh is, you know, but um, the psoas is the one place that we're moving from, and we tend to be so not in our presence of being that it's an unconscious And what I feel that your work does is it draws us into a grounding within a greater sense of awareness that allows for the psoas to be a conscious muscle and uh, not wow. necessarily. Very nice of, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I don't know if it's a muscle as, as much as it becomes, I mean, in my experience, it's where the psoas becomes connective tissue throughout the entire organism. Mm -hmm. It becomes that, that the fulcrum of that networking throughout the entire system and, get, and brings it coherency. That allows the arms and the and the head and every and the tongue and the toes and everything to to move from that fulcrum. Um, well, so. I call it an organ of perception. Mm. I think it's a lot like the tongue in that we we put it in a muscle box because that's the biomechanical. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, that's the biomechanical format. But if you leave the biomechanical format and you go to the embryonic model and you're looking at embryology, then, then really it's tissue that grows right out of the midline and, um, and it expresses in all directions. And, and it's an organ of perception. It's, a, you know, it's no longer a hip flexor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's see. What other questions do I have for you? One of the things that you were saying about the, um, that it's taking you deeper into the universal, um, I wanted to kind of explore that a little bit more as far as, uh, do you feel that your your work has um, expanded in that way, meaning that as the trauma has decreased and everything, was it a surprise to you that it became more of a of a, a an awakening process for you, um, or was that something that you were always sort of interested in? Meaning that your original work was uh, was based in a creative expression that was connected to healing, even though you, you may not have been aware of it, but with the womb, you know, creating wombs and all of these different things, was it always built into your awareness that it was a spirit, you know, a spiritual practice for you? And do you see it that way? Um, I think so. I think that, um, I, I think, <laughs> I think that my uh, rebelliousness as a young woman, um, my rebelliousness through my childhood. I was very rebellious. And so I kind of rejected. Um, I didn't really become a victim. I didn't realize I was a victim until kind of later. I was very rebellious. And so that to me was a lot of liver energy and a lot which I associate with creativity. So, so I had that kind of creative, I mean, that was part of going into the museum school of fine arts. I mean, this is a school where most people have, you know, studied art and here I am, a young woman who had a show there. I had a, I had a sculpture show there that was all about, like, looking at things that were deconstructing themselves. And they were, you know, just hanging and dripping and crawling, and they were creepy and ugly, and I called them sculpture. And, I, mm. so, and, <laughs> and when they'd be in, in, you know, like the Boston, uh, like a – like a large museum show at the at one of the major centers, you know, I'd laugh because people would walk around and be contemplating what was the meaning of this basic crap that was I had on the floor, and <laughs> uh, and and I thought it was really funny because I was challenging people's perception. I was saying, so so you want to call this sculpture? Go ahead, call it sculpture, call it art. I don't care, you know. It's not, you know, or is it? Maybe it is. What is art? You know. So I was like constantly. Uh, butting up against whatever wall that culture created. And, and so I was always, you know, just hitting against walls, um, kind of looking for how do I get out of this box that uh, the world calls art or the world calls being human. Or So human potential is really what I was interested in. I, I just didn't realize that you didn't have to be in pain and you didn't have to be afraid and you didn't, you know, so that was a really, <laughs> that was a really good plus. It was like, oh, wow, I could actually, and I, I can remember when I finally uh, got out of the fight-flight response in where the chemistry uh, began to really shift for me, hmm. I, I, I remember thinking, wow, this is what a lot of people experience all the time. And it, to me, it felt like someone had flipped a switch, and all of a sudden, I landed on the earth, and I woke up in a different place or a different world. And all of a sudden, I realized that uh, all the things I was afraid of were inside of me. They weren't really what was happening on the outside. Um, wow. You know, it just it just really shifted my perspective. So, so I, I yes, I've always been. I mean, you know, I'm. And so why the psoas became that passion, I'm not really totally sure, except that, <laughs> just as you said, the physicality, you know, because I can go really mental and mm -hmm. I can go into really thinking about things. And, um, you know, I, I grew up in the 60s and the 70s and, you know, I, I took drugs and 
mushrooms and you know so I could like go really all kinds of places but uh, to ground myself in this tissue to really be be just with the next sensation and mm. and then to look for the finer I mean it took me three years to find my psoas I mean it's not like I connected with it right away it took three years I had no idea where it was all I knew was that when I sensed my hip sockets or the area that I thought my hip sockets were in I felt a lot of tension and I felt angry, and I wanted to kick, you know, and scream. And it was like, oh, okay, well, you know. And, and so it was like a process of just staying with this wild, <laughs> this, this wild being on the floor and, and staying and seeing what else showed up. So, it, you know, it, 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 it wasn't very clean, a process. It was just kind of what I had to do, you know, and... And what I what I what I was compelled to do, um, and and now you know I'm not like that. I'm a lot calmer. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little older too. <laughs> when was so it? That... I'm, more in, I'm more interested in emergence now. I'm more into the unknown and you know like what it's like to allow something that you don't know to show up. You know to, you know. Yeah, actually, that was that was my my next question. Besides, when the first one I was going to ask you, when and was it that you realized that you when how long ago was that that you started leaving trauma and discovering that 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 was an internal thing that was resolving? Um, hmm. uh, I, I, it's been it's been different levels of that. You know, I'll think I'll think it's whoa. You know, I think I'm through that. I would say probably uh, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I started. Uh, I mean, there's been different levels. You know, I ha I've had three children, so giving birth and being pregnant and giving birth was you know different levels of of coming into myself and, and you know that uh, that changed changed me in many ways, but. Um, that yeah, I would say around 15 years ago, I started to emerge out of that, and then it's been a process, and and there was still, you know, there's subtler, subtler levels of vigilance that one can find in the system, and so, you know, I, I don't know if I'm, you know, there's probably still some, but but I I I notice now that um, there, there's a lot left. Yeah, I think of it more like that, not like it's all gone, but like, oh, yeah. I don't really notice, you know. Because yeah. I think one of the hardest things as you keep growing that way is to be able to actually see your own barriers or defenses. Yeah. So, like, I know there must be there, but they're almost invisible, right? You don't – it's like tension patterns. You don't you – know, like, how do you know they're tension patterns until you experience something else, and then you go, oh, wow, you know, like there's – it, it, yep. isn't it, yeah, like how do you do that? You know what I mean? Like you might see, oh, there's Liz being defensive or vigilant, but how do I sense that from the inside out if that's the familiar? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, this this piece that you just brought in about emergence, um, there's something around that where I feel that that's, again, it's where the psoas can be in, a messenger as well in that 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 inspiration, that emergence, that expansion, that becomes your reference point of understanding um, when you are in hypervigilance or, or a fear contraction. Once mm -hmm. you understand the baseline of of our of our being is expansive and is is an unfolding of. So I, it would. Can you put that into? Can you say more about that about emergence? And that feels to me like that's the discovery process that's happened for you as far as healing and seeing how it is that you, when you get to the other side of the basic, you know, uh, childhood traumas, of how it is that emergence starts to come forward. How is it that you're seeing that forward for you, and how is it that you feel that that's informing your work? The way I experience emergence is through longing. And um, I can remember uh, years ago the idea of longing was terrifying. You know, if you just don't long for anything, then you just don't get hurt. And, um, uh, uh, but then there's this kind of wild, crazy part of me that, you know, uh, likes to challenge and shock and, um, and, uh, 
you know, so, so, so yeah, so shock is, you know, was really a big way for me to, to make shifts and changes is to get reactions from other people. So a lot of my, what you would maybe, one would call um, uh, uh, how I defined myself or my own boundaries was by the shock value of the people who were near me. They became the boundaries. Either they told me no, or they said stop, or uh, they reacted in some way. And then I knew that I existed because <laughs> because all these people would do whatever they do. And and um, <laughs> that was kind of how I referenced myself. This is how I like kind of knew that Liz was showing up. Um, and and as that as I started to progress into being in myself, then I could actually begin to feel, um, uh, and which I think has happens for people who grow up in in a dysfunctional families is they don't have boundaries and no one referenced them because the boundaries are are confused and they're diffused, and so there's a way in which you don't know where you end and where somebody else begins, and especially when there's any kind of sexual or uh, well, or even emotional, it doesn't matter, it's all the same. I mean, it's, you know, so there's, a, there's no reference point, and, and there's no one helping you have that sense of this is you and this is me and creating those boundaries. So boundaries was one of the ways that I, that I first found me. But now, so part of letting down vigilance, right, is dissolving the boundaries, mm. it is, is so where, how do you, you were saying like the fulcrum, like how do you dissolve a boundary? Then where do you, where do you anchor? Where, where, do, you, where do you move from? Or where do you uh, perceive this dissolving from? Like, in other words, where is the consciousness if you're dissolving? So will you just disappear? Or where you, you know, what will happen to me? So, um, so I think the vigilance is, is like a boundary. And then as, and so I really didn't try to get rid of the vigilance. I fed the longing. In other words, the first way I fell in love was with a slow-mo ball, those balls that I use a lot, where I interacted with the ball until I could give myself to the ball. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't that I didn't think I'd ever been in love or anything, but I realized that by working with the tissue itself and in contact with, with a boundary, like the ball, but a fluid boundary like the ball, it gave me that same rebound that people reactions would be, and I could push hard against the ball, and it would react to me, so it would give me that echoing of, okay, here you are, but then I could dissolve into the ball, and as I kind of began to let go and trust that the ball, and balls are great because they don't really get pissed off at you or anything, you know, and they don't react, and so, right, they don't leave, you know. So it was like it started to give me this kind of response. It started to allow me to get into, like, liking the ball, and then I could actually, like, long for certain, and then the ball would do something unexpected, and then I could, like, interact with that. and. And so that's how I got to know where I am and yet not create um, a wall or boundary or defense system. Mm. I could start to dissolve that. And I think it's the dissolving, as you know, that allowed the emergence of something new, right, of, of the uh, unpredictable, the unconditional, the, the, that which we, you know, we, yep. which we don't know, you know. Um, and that's so exciting, that eros, that, that life energy, that primal, you know, juice. And when it, and so then to, to just um, be nourished by that created, uh, Rumi actually talks about that. He talks about, about the longing and the, the, the desire and the, the willingness to how, you know, how vital that is to. Yeah. That's really interesting. What I think I just heard you say was that um, coming from trauma, your way of of expansion was basically to press off of people from a place of trauma, so to speak, from a sort of a disconnected place within yourself to find some sort of traumatic connection. And then as you started to resolve, you started to basically realize that and work in relation in the relationship of love, of Eros. Mm-hmm. From 
from that place that you could dissolve limitations and boundaries um, so that you could, from a place of expansion, from a place of, of, of um, emergence. Did I get that right? I think so. And the only word that I, 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 uh, that doesn't, that I'm not sure about is expansion, because I guess it is expansive, but in some ways it feels, uh, it feels closer to home. Yes. You know, Bob, it's, Bob, you know, Bob Dylan said, Bob Dylan said he was born a long way from home. Mm. And that, is how I feel, and I feel like as I keep this process, I I am I am more more, you know, I I'm not a body. I am my body. You know, it's like I I, I inhabit the tissue totally. So I I don't actually feel expanded. I feel uh, just present. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mhm. I understand. Okay, the, there's this theme that I'm noticing, and I wanted to, I wanted to point it out, um, but let me preface it. So when, um, when I was mentoring with Emily, one of the conversations that we were really, we would sit and discuss was our, how it is that we would, we discovered um, when we were kids what it was that we were interested in, and these little places that we would be drawn to naturally and how it is that you could see those those becoming almost like your outline or your your um, informer of how of stacking on top of the next moment to lead you to where you are now. So, for example, when I was a little kid, I used to uh, when whenever we were you know doing something like watching a movie or something, I would play with the the tones. I would hum so I could feel the tone the bones in my head resonate, or I'd you know direct. Down, down into my hips, so I could feel the sound reach there. And you know, Emily and I both, we both had this kind of stuff. She was so fascinated with the fish and the sea and how they move together as one school. Um, so I wanted to kind of propose that question to you. Uh, what I'm noticing is that there's this primordial theme throughout all of your 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 everything we've discussed, the the artwork. Um, you know, and then how that led into the pri the primacy of the of the really the most primordial aspect of our system, the psoas, and how it is that that's that's a gateway of emergence for you. Um, so just dropping that layer in there and just kind of asking all of that and seeing what comes out. Well, two things come to mind. One is um, when I was really young, um, I did a lot of rocking. And, and uh, I noticed even today that if I, um, one of the ways I locate is through a gentle uh, uh, wave motion. That's mm. kind of like a gentle rock. Yeah. And I, and I remember really young when I was really overwhelmed by, you know, all the sensory sound and uh that was going on in the physicality of the house, um, uh, I would uh, go into fetal, uh, usually actually more like a ball, like on my, on my knees and um, with my head down, mm -hmm. um, but more curled in that way, and I would rock. Mm. And, and I would just like go into this wave rock motion. So I've never thought about that, but there, you know, there's the, there's the, the primitive sea and there's the wave rock, you know, uh, that when slowed down goes into a long wave pause. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so there was that. Um, there was also, uh, as I, uh, as I, I grew up, a fascination, um, uh, a fascination with spirals because um, I have a history of scoliosis and and so a lot of my sculptural work is really a torque, twisted, spirally kind of, so it's almost like the extreme of the spiral where it's kind of uh, torqued or move into that. And I would spend, I did a lot of wrapping kind of sculptures that were uh, like roots and gnarly kind of uh, things that you see in nature. And I was, I loved. I love that stuff. I mean, it, it, 
what what evoked kind of disturbance in other people uh, to look at it and dark kind of you know evocative kind of feeling. I loved. I mean, like I loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved doing it. I loved seeing it. I couldn't get gnarly enough. I mean, it was like uh-huh. take me into these spirals. Take me deep into these spirals. You know. Take oh. me into the darkest spiral you can take me to. That's where I want to go. You know, so that's kind of that, you know, that, that, those two. And then the third piece is that I, when I got into my 20s, um, I was actually involved in some interesting explorations that had to do with intervals. And the interval, I was introduced to the importance of the interval so that it isn't what you do, it's the space between what you do mm. uh, that becomes the actual, like in sound, right, in music, it's what happens between the notes yep. that creates. So the counterpoint to, the, to this, and, and that's a conceptual idea that I've worked with for years is this, so, for instance, Emily Conrad, when she came, started talking about intervals, it was like, oh, my God, I love this territory. You know, it's, I, I get it. I get how important it's like. So, in other words, when you drop something into an experience, then you just, it's what happens after that. It's that resonance. It's that vibration. It's that, it's, it's the, uh, what is evoked. Yeah just as the dropping of a pebble into water evokes those wonderful movements, that's, that's where the attention needs to be. Mm. Yeah. I refer to it as the space between spaces. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a really, it's really interesting. I don't know if um, very many people have, have known this about you, the, 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 the primordial nature uh, with the spirals and the, the, the dark, rich, deep, you know, uh, gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if very many people have known that. Um, so that, that's really, it's really interesting to hear all of that. Uh, one of the things I've always said about you is that you're, you're an adult in the sense that you're, you have this I attack. know. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you love that. Yeah. Yeah, that you're an adult, and then with, but it's true. Actually, if you were to kind of listen to how um, you define the psoas, we could say that you're that way too, because you do have this innocence and this playful quality um, that's that's very much like a six-year-old little girl. Uh, so there's this beautiful uh, balance with that. Um, I want to ask. I want to turn this over to the group uh, and see if they have any questions. But what I'd like to ask before that is, do you see a potential uh, future unfolding with your work that do you see, you know, what's next as far as your work? Do you see it developing in a specific way um, different than it is now? If you were to look, you know, 10 years from now. Um, yes and no. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to write a book uh, about uh, the muscle of the soul. I, I feel like I, 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 my, my written information hasn't really, it hasn't really gone into the more energetic, emotional, spiritual side of the psoas. I've hinted at things and I mentioned things, but um, I'm feeling like that's, I'd like to bring that forward in, in the work. Yeah. And, and so I'm just developing that information now and writing some smaller articles on it. One's going to be in Positive Health in London, England. It's a, it's a magazine there. Um, and I'm, I'm working with the energetic psoas and the relationship to the chakras as kind of just getting me to, to cultivate these ideas. But when I heard the muscle of the soul, that was kind of like, oh, great, that, that tunes into just what it is that I want to talk about. Because I feel that that that, that I love what you said about the psoas being unconscious, and and that, that I would say was is my future. I have two future goals. One is to bring the psoas to the populace, um, and getting brave enough to do that because I one a lot of people's reaction is well, wait a minute, why haven't we heard of this already? So there's a kind of reaction, 
um, like why, if it's so important, why don't we know about it? But that's so much about who our culture is. We're very superficial as a culture. Yeah. And so yeah. how, to, how to allow this deeper, you know, experience to, to come forward into the public. And the other is, um, is to just keep unfolding and seeing, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm less attached to the psoas than I've ever been in the sense of um, my own personal, you know, I don't really sit around, you know, talk to my psoas too much because it's just informing me and I'm kind of already listening as I am. Like you said, it's just a, it's just a, a, a bouncing off place for all the other tissue and all the other experience um, in my organism. So, um, so it's kind of like I'm moving. My my physicality is moving in all different new ways. But then I keep weaving that back into the conversation around the psoas. Mm. It's how I'm seeing my work evolving. You know. Yeah. I guess I am expanding. I'm expanding now. I'm expanding, and that's, there we go. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) There we go. There's expansion going on. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's really good. You know, like, I want to play with people like you because when we're together and we start, you know, teaching together and we're playing in these ways, I'm so ready to be fed and nourished by other people's creativity. And then being like that, touches in me, you know, and, right. and that play, yeah, I'm like really right there. I love that. See, that right there is a huge indicator that, that there is a resolution of trauma in your, in, your, in, in your system. That's how I've basically been able to gauge um, that, that inspiration. That, that inspiration is like that tells you that you've passed you know, you're you're over the hump <laughs> in yeah. resolving trauma when you actually want to play, when you actually are interested and and really even present enough to be able to sense who's in front of you and see how it is that it's inspiring you and and how it's that's the, that's where you become the artist again. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, I gonna ask you. Oh. I think it's it's beautiful what you're saying about taking it into the more spirit-based um, and the emotional aspect of the system. I, I feel that that's it's definitely time for that. Um, mm-hmm. It feels like it's we're entering into this time of where there's so much going on for people to understand what's ha- what they're feeling and why, and in relationship to the world changing and to have those resources. I think that's beautiful. I'm glad that you're 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 feeling inspired to do that. You. So yeah. should we open open our conversation up here if anybody wants to? I can unstar us and we'll all be online. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, no, I guess. Right. I guess we're unmuted now. <laughs> so, um, so does anyone have any questions? Anyone have, have any questions? Um, okay. Can you hear me? Yep. Uh, this is Sharifa from Paris. So um, very happy <laughs> to um, <laughs> It's almost two o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm very happy to like hear about your work. I just I stumbled upon your work when you made left a comment on Elena Brower's uh, blog on the Huffington Post, and I was like so interested in the comment you made, and I went to your website. Um, oh, great! Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was interested. I've, I've read, I've read a lot of your website, and I've been working with the constructive rest position just as an introduction because I um, have always experienced a lot of tension in my hip sockets, and so I'm interested in releasing and resolving, as you um, described, the, that tension and trauma. But I wondered, um, in addition to that, are there other um, more concrete um, things that people can do on their own if, we, if I'm not able to take a course with you anytime soon? Um, well, I, little tiny movements in the hip sockets. I, I think little rocking motion, any, anything that wakes up the hip socket brings you, uh, brings more uh, blood circulation and also energy uh, you know, like proprioceptive awareness into the hip socket. In other words, 
there's two things that, that kind of create tension in the hip socket. One is uh, sacroiliac disruption, or in other words, midline disruption. That's one of the messages of the psoas, is that there's something skeletally uh, or ligamentally disrupted. And so how you sit, sitting on your tuberosities, you know, uh, supporting the pelvis, not tucking it, not, not, not controlling the core, which a lot of people learn to do through different movement uh, avenues uh, or exercise forms and things like that. But then the other is to grow proprioception where there may not be much awareness. So if you are sitting, for example, on a chair and your pelvis is part of your core, and then to be able to just lightly rock the leg back and forth and be able to feel the actual ball in the socket moving. So little tiny movements like that, waking up the feet uh, so that there's a sense of rebound that comes up through the leg into the socket. So I do a lot of little tiny uh, micro movements with little waves and little, and a lot of that uh, stimulates uh, the, both releasing the energy as well as the muscular tension. Mm, yeah. um, and I am, in, I am in England. I'm in England in May. So. You are. I'll be back. I'll be back in America by then, but I hope to study with you soon. <laughs> Thank you. You also yeah. have a teleseries, don't you? Have a teleseries as well, where people can download yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, well, the tele the teleclass is is a call in, like it, this. It's live. It's not recorded, uh, so it's a live one. So you have to be willing to call in and and participate. And and then there's the actual. Um, and then of course. In terms of the ideas, I would say the CD I did last year oh, yeah. developed intellectual ideas around the fluid, you know, the filet mignon. You know, it talks a lot about instead of the rigid core, the, and it does have some suggestions in that. Um, core awareness has, has a lot of exercises you can do for wakening up the hip sockets or, or releasing the psoas or... Yeah, but if you think, if you change the mindset that it's a, it's a messenger and that the problem isn't the psoas, the psoas is letting us know that there's something disrupted skeletally in our relationship to gravity, um, in, our, in our sense of safety or survival, then yeah. we're stop trying to manipulate it and then we look for the other things that are maybe disrupting. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. It's so interesting how if you really listen to the heart, the messenger, you know, the, the, I find that relationships are the one main thing when we start to clear up our, our boundaries in relationships that the psoas starts letting, you know, it's, it starts relaxing and, and stops gripping. It it's stops that communication. Absolutely. And for many people, they actually hold that upper psoas very tight, which is our will center. It's where we self-actualize. And, and if there is trauma then we really help hold that tight. But some people learn to hold that tight through their belief system that we need a tight core or we need to have abs of steel or, or whatever. Yeah. And so it's true. The minute I, I soften and start to really find my connection to the earth rather than gripping and anchoring there, it opens the heart. And, and yeah. then that's where the balance comes in, right? That's where yeah. the, the balance in myself between you know, the, the yin and yang or the, the gel and the sol or, you know, whatever you want to call those opposing energies, they harmonize in the heart. And, and so that's where that expression of the arms and the up through the throat and the, the voice and uh, yeah. inspiration comes in. And that's where I see, like, you, when, it, when you watch calves move, you really get the potential of the psoas and how it, it it evokes the whole organism. It's not a limited movement. And so I, I really highly recommend everybody go on uh, www.continuummovement.com and look under videos and find Cass Phelps and watch the little video of Cass uh, moving on uh, what's called the flight plan and oh, yeah. allowing that psoas movement to happen. Yeah. And is that on awake? On, on, I don't know if it's on your site as yeah. well. Yeah, thank you. Actually, yeah, it is, thank you for that. Beautiful. Um, yeah, it is actually on my website, awake-one.com, A-W-A-K-E-O-N-E.com. There's several videos on there, and there'll be more, too. I just shot a bunch this weekend. But, um, yeah, but anyway, let's uh, see if there's any more questions that we've got.
from our amazing group. Does anyone else have anything they want to ask Liz? Well, let's, um, maybe I should uh, just make the announcement of our, our play workshop one more time. Sure. We're, going to do a primal, we're going to do a primal play workshop on April 16th to the 18th. It's in Santa Monica. And Kath and I will be uh, collaborating in a very fun-filled weekend. And we'll be uh, igniting this ability to play, which is actually, you know, you were saying not only the idea that when people are, are really um, spontaneously ready to play, that they're over the hump, but also play helps you uh, Get yeah. recover. Yeah. And so it's a mutual response, especially when you create a safe and coherent environment where you can really explore um, this wild inner territory that we call the OS. <laughs> you know that. I have a question about that workshop. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if you're having issues with pain in your in your hips. Um, would you recommend doing the workshop, or is that more advanced? Like, should you be out of the pain? <laughs> when you come to the workshop? Uh, I, it, I guess it depends. I mean, I don't think Cassie can answer that as well. Um, my, my first reaction is it depends how safe you feel in the sense that if you're really fragile, I would say, you know, do a SOAS workshop first or, you know, do, do, do work with Cass or, you know, work with one of us in something where we're more focused on unraveling whatever's going on. Uh, but if it's more where, you know, there is discomfort, I mean, I, I think everybody has different levels of that discomfort and sometimes uh, the play itself, because we, we're very careful about how people feel safe when we work so that it's kind of sometimes that that is the unraveling of the... Yeah, that's true. I, I noticed, I've noticed that in that when, well, first of all, we should define the play as really, it's, it's that ability to show up present moment um, and really to learn how to do that, to learn how to really, um, to feel that inspiration and then to learn how to do it. That's the basic thing that we end up discovering in our, in our play workshops. And then out of that, you, you, you remember yourself, you remember this part of you that's, that is inspired and that is intelligent. And so that can be very, very healing if you have been trapped inside of an injury or in a, in a traumatic loop. Just being in, in a fertile environment like that can be very, very helpful. We've had people that came to our last workshop that really didn't want to engage very much, but they just really enjoyed being there. And that, for them, was was a, was a part of play. And, and the people that were with them actually enjoyed having somebody that they could just sit with and be calm with. So play has a broad spectrum, especially when you come from intelligence, uh, primal intelligence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So ultimately it's just kind of feeling into your own system and saying, you know, is, is this a place that I, can, that I can work with my own levels of trust and my own, uh, it's not that you need to be leaping off the, you know, off the, off of the, the balls and the walls. It's not, it doesn't need to be extremely active as much as it needs to be about you being able to be present and choosing to work with being present so that you can feel your own inspiration. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you say, yeah, and, you know, Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and, and it, one of the things to also define play as is that it's not cultural play. Um, yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not like playing a game or, you know, where we win or lose or we take sides or, um, it's, you know, and everybody needs to participate. Or it's play is the we're, – we're talking about play as an instinctual impulse in the organism, that, that play is curiosity. Play is, is, like you said, showing up. And, and so play can be personal. It can be interactive. It can be testing that space in between that. Um, and people show up in a very intuitive way. They really yeah. get It's like if you think of a group of animals, and if one animal is, is, is maybe injured or, or has something going on, they're not going to jump and leap on that. You know, it's like other people become a very sensitized 
to also kind of supporting and and nurturing that which is is maybe feeling a little more vulnerable or so there's yeah. a really beautiful way that people show up for each other who yeah. and they don't know each other but but we and we we work on developing that that's actually the beginning of the workshop is to yeah. to be able to do things where you're working with your own capacity to, to become more sensitized to your own needs. Uh, and, and, and then it has a kind of this wonderful way of interacting with other people. Yeah. We set it up so that you're from a deeper place in the sense that there's a dis it's like each person shows up in this discovery process. Here's a really good example. with. Um, with a tiger, when a, a tiger cub, when they're first growing up, they all of their play is based in tackling and jumping and leaping and 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 mauling, and so they play like that with their little brothers and sisters, and as well as the parents. And the thing is, is that's a discovery process for them, where so like when they are actually growing, grown up, and they need to go out and feed. You know, if they're in their head about trying to feed, it's not going to happen. But because they've hardwired their nervous system from a discovery place of play, for them, going out and catching a meal is, is insp it's inspiring, it's playful, and it's fun, and, and they're in that zone. So one of the things that Liz and I discovered was that through the domestication of our species, we actually stopped listening to our own inspired impulses, and we take on these cultural identities, like, okay, I'm going to grow up and be a doctor, you know, or I'm going to grow up and do this and have these kids and have this house that we we kind of override those that self-discovery process. So what we found is that we can enter a timeless place to allow that self-discovery process to come forward and then see how it is that we can engage together in a, in a fertile field. And that, that's, that's through the lens of play. That's actually how we define play. Yeah. Very nicely, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should stop. Okay. Uh, our time is up, and uh, thank you. That was really fun. Yeah, thank you so much.